Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Thursday, December 14th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I'm Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. A lot of great listening over there are over 60 well-curated podcasts, wide, wide variety of topic areas, all covered from a biblical worldview. Um, so definitely trustworthy listening. I would encourage you to go on over there. Um, I, I will guarantee you, you're going to find something over there you want to listen to, and there's a really good chance you're going to find more over there to listen to than you actually have time to listen to it in. So go ahead and go on over there. All right. Well, with it being Thursday, like, um, with it, like every day, we're going to do our rating again, we're getting late in the year. So we're closing up on finishing up our reading plan for this year. Um, and then for this evening, we're going to continue on in our section about from sorrow to joy in John 16. So let's go ahead and open up in prayer. We're going to open up with the fifth day morning prayer. It's called the giver. Let's pray. Creator, upholder, and proprietor of all things. We cannot escape from thy presence and control, nor do we desire to do so. Our privilege is to be under the agency of thy omnipotence, righteousness, wisdom, patience, mercy, and grace. For thou art love with more than parental affection. We admire thy goodness, stand in awe of thy power, abase ourselves before thy purity. It is the discovery of thy goodness alone that can banish our fear. Allure us into thy presence. Help us to bewail and confess our sins. We review our past guilt and are conscious of present unworthiness. We bless thee that thy steadfast love and attributes are essential to our happiness and hope. Thou hast witnessed to us thy grace and mercy in the bounties of nature, in the fullness of thy providence, in the revelations of Scripture, in the gift of thy Son, in the proclamation of the Gospel. Make us willing to be saved in thy own way, perceiving nothing in ourselves but all in Jesus. Help us not only to receive him, but to walk in him, depend upon him, commune with him, follow him as dear children, imperfect but still pressing forward, not complaining of labor but valuing rest, not murmuring under trials but thankful for our state, and by so doing let us silence the ignorance of foolish men. Amen. All right, and our morning devotion for this morning, hang on, I need to do something, there we go. Um, all right, our morning devotion this morning. Uh, the text for it is from Psalm 84, 7. They go from strength to strength. They go from strength to strength. There are various renderings of these words, but all of them contain the idea of progress. Our own good translation of the authorized version is enough for us this morning. They go from strength to strength. That is, they grow stronger and stronger. Usually, usually, if we are walking, we go from strength to weakness. We start fresh and in good order for our journey, but by and by the road is rough and the sun is hot. We sit down by the wayside and then again painfully pursue our weary way. But the Christian pilgrim, having obtained fresh supplies of grace, is as vigorous after years of toilsome travel and struggle as when he first set out. He may not be quite so elate and buoyant, 
nor perhaps quite so hot and hasty in his zeal as he once was, but he is much stronger in all that constitutes real power and travels, if more slowly, far more surely. Some gray-haired veterans have been as firm in their grasp of truth and as zealous in diffusing it as they were in their younger days. But alas, it must be confessed, it is often otherwise, for the love of many waxes cold and iniquity abounds, but this is their own sin and not the fault of the promise which still holds good. The youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles, they shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Fretful spirits sit down and trouble themselves about the future. Alas, say they, we go from affliction to affliction. Very true, O thou of little faith, but then thou goest from strength to strength also. Thou shalt never find a bundle of affliction which has not bound up in the midst of its sufficient grace. God will give the strength of ripe, man, ripe manhood with the burden allotted to full-grown shoulders. All right. So our reading for today, we're going to be reading Jonah 1 through 4. So I think that's the whole book of Jonah. Uh, Revelation 5, Psalm 133, and Proverbs 29, verses 26 and 27. So, Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of Yahweh came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Yet Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of Yahweh. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, and paid its fare, and went down into it, down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of Yahweh. But Yahweh hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship gave thought to breaking apart. Then the sailors became fearful, and every man cried to his God, and they hurled the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down below into the innermost part of the vessel, lain down and fallen deep asleep. So the captain came near to him and said to him, How is it that you are deeply sleeping? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. Then each man said to the other, Come, let us have the lots fall, so we may know on whose account this calamitous evil has struck us. So they had the lots fall, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then each man said to the other, Come, let us have the lot. I'm sorry. Then they said to him, Tell us now, on whose account has this calamitous evil struck us? What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear Yahweh, the God of heaven, who made excuse me, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became greatly fearful, and they said to him, What is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of Yahweh, because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do to you that the sea may become quiet for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. So he said to them, Lift me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will become quiet for you, for I know that on account of me this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rowed desperately to return to dry land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming increasingly stormy against them. Then they called on Yahweh and said, Ah, O Yahweh, we earnestly pray, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us, for you, O Yahweh, as you have pleased, you have as you have pleased, you have done. So they lifted Jonah up and hurled him into the sea, and the sea stood still from its raging. Then the men greatly feared Yahweh, and they offered a sacrifice to Yahweh, and made vows. 
And Yahweh appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to Yahweh his God from the stomach of the fish, and he said, I called out of my distress to Yahweh, and he answered me. I cried out for help from the belly of Sheol. You heard my voice, for you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current surrounded me. All your breakers and waves passed over me. So I said, I have been driven away from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. Water encompassed me to my very soul, and great deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the base of the mountains, and the earth with its bars closed behind me forever. But you have brought up my life from the pit, O Yahweh my God, while my soul was fainting within me. I remembered Yahweh, and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their loving kindness. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to Yahweh. Then Yahweh spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. Jonah 3 Now the word of Jonah... I'm sorry, now the word of Yahweh came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out to it this very call which I am going to speak to you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of Yahweh. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days' walk. Then Jonah began to go into the city one day's walk, and he called out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast, and put on sackcloth, and I'm sorry, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, laid aside his mantle from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes. And he cried out and said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, animal, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat, and do not let them drink water. But both man and animal must be covered with sackcloth, and let men call on God with their strength, that each may turn from his evil way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows God may, who knows God may turn and relent and turn away from his burning anger, so that we will not perish. Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way. So God relented concerning the evil which he had spoken he would bring upon them, and he did not bring it upon them. Jonah 4 but this was a great evil to Jonah, and he became angry. And he prayed to Yahweh and said, Ah, O Yahweh, was not this my word to myself while I was still in my own land? Therefore I went ahead to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning evil. So now, O Yahweh, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. And Yahweh said, Do you have good reason to be angry? Then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of the city, and there he made a booth for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. So Yahweh God appointed a plant, and it came up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his miserable evil. And Jonah was extremely glad about the, about the plant. But God appointed a worm at the breaking of dawn the next day, and it struck the plant and it dried up. Then it happened that as the sun rose up, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun struck down on Jonah's head, so that he became faint, and asked with all his soul to die, and said, Death is better to me than life. Then God said to Jonah, Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have good reason to be angry even to death. 
Then Yahweh said, You had pity on the plant for which you did not work, and which you did not cause to grow, which came to be overnight, and perished overnight. So should I not have pity on Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand, as well as many animals? Revelation 5 Then I saw in the right hand of him who sits on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven, or on the earth, or under the earth, was able to open the scroll or, or to look into it. Then I was crying greatly, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Then I, um, And one of the elders said to me, Stop crying. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sits on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb, each one having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriad of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature, I'm sorry, and every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be the blessing and the honor and the glory and the might forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Psalm 133, A Song of Ascents of David Behold how good and how pleasant it is for the brothers to dwell together in unity. It is like the good oil upon the head, coming down upon the beard, Aaron's beard, coming down upon the edge of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, coming down upon the mountains of Zion. For there Yahweh commanded the blessing, life forever. And finally, Proverbs 29 Verses 26 and 27, so the end, of this is the end of this chapter. Many seek the face of a ruler, but justice for man comes from Yahweh. An unjust man is an abomination to the righteous, and he who is upright in the way is an abomination to the wicked. All right, well, that is our reading for the day. Thank you for spending this time with me. Um, I hope you have yourself a wonderful day. I would continue to implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God. And I hope to see you for the evening segment. Let's go ahead and close out with prayer. The prayer we're going to close out with is called Voyage. Let's pray. O Lord of the oceans, my little bark sails on a restless sea. Grant that Jesus may sit at the helm and steer me safely. Suffer no adverse currents to divert my heavenward course. Let not my faith be wrecked amid storms and shoals. Bring me to harbor and flying pennants. Hull unbreached, cargo unspoiled. I ask great things, expect great things, shall receive great things. 
I venture on thee wholly, fully, my wind, sunshine, anchor, defense. The voyage is long, the waves high, the storms pitiless, but my helm is held steady. Thy word secures safe passage, thy grace wafts me onward, my haven is guaranteed. This day will bring me nearer home. Grant me holy consistency in every transaction, my peace flowing as a running tide, my righteousness as every chasing wave. Help me to live circumspectly, with skill to convert every care into prayer. Halo my path with gentleness and love. Smooth every asperity of temper. Let me, let me not forget how easy it is to occasion grief. May I strive to bind up every wound and pour oil on all troubled waters. May the world this day be happier and better because I live. Let my mast before me be the Savior's cross, and every oncoming wave the fountain in his side. Help me, prote help me, protect me in the moving sea, until I reach the shore of unceasing praise. Amen. All right, again, I hope you have yourself a wonderful day, and I hope to see you for the evening segment. Have a good one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Thursday, December 13th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. All right, we're going to be continuing on in our study of John chapter 16 today and this section about, um, sorry, from sorrow to joy. So let's go ahead and jump right in. Let's go ahead and open up with prayer. The prayer we're going to open up with from Valley of Vision is called Deliverance. Let's pray. O God of unsearchable greatness, before thee I am nothing but vanity, iniquity, perishing. Sin has forfeited thy favor. Strip me of thy image. Banish me from thy presence. Expose me to the curse of thy law. I cannot deliver myself and am in despair. But a resource is found in thee. For without my desert, or desire, that its devise an everlasting plan, honorable to thy perfections, and which angels desire to look into. And the word which announces all the glory of his of this goodness is nigh me, invites me, beseeches me. May I, a convinced and self-despairing sinner, find Jesus as the power unto salvation, his death the center of all relief, the source of all gospel blessings. Help me to repair to that cross, be crucified to the world by it, and in it find deepest humiliation, motives to patience and self-denial, grace for active benevolence, faith to grasp eternal life, hope to lift up my head, love to bind me forever. To him who died and rose for me, may his shed blood make me more thankful for thy mercies, more humble under thy correction, more zealous in thy service, more watchful against temptation, more contented in my circumstances, more useful to others. Amen. All right. And our evening devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, the text is from Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ acted in what he did as a great public representative person, and his dying upon the cross was the virtual die dying of all his people. Then all his saints rendered unto him, unto justice what was due, and made an expiation to divine vengeance for all their sins. The apostle of the Gentiles delighted to think that as one of Christ's chosen people, he died upon the cross in Christ. He did more than believe this doctrinally. He accepted it confidently, resting his hope upon it. 
he believed that by virtue of Christ's death he had satisfied divine justice and found re reconciliation with God. Beloved, what a blessed thing it is when the soul can, as it were, stretch itself upon the cross of Christ and feel, I am dead, the law has slain me, and I am therefore free from its power, because in my surety I have borne the curse, and in the person of my substitute the whole that the law could do, by way of condemnation, has been ex executed upon me, for I am crucified with Christ. But Paul meant even more than this. He not only believed in Christ's death and trusted in it, but he actually felt its power in himself and causing the crucifixion of his old corrupt nature. When he saw the pleasures of sin, he said, I cannot enjoy these. I am dead to them. Such is the experience of every true Christian. Having received Christ, he is to this world as one who is utterly dead. Yet while conscious of death to the world, he can at the same time explain, exclaim with the apostle, nevertheless, I live. He is fully alive unto God. The Christian's life is a matchless riddle. No worldling can comprehend it. Even the believer himself cannot understand it. Dead yet alive, crucified with Christ, and yet at the same time risen with Christ in newness of life. Union with the suffering, bleeding Savior and death to the world and sin are soul-cheering things. Oh, oh, for more enjoyment of them. All right. Well, Actually, that was a that was a pretty good um, devotion for what we're going to talk about today. So again, we're we're continuing on in John chapter sixteen, and we've come into this section. You know, we've talked about the Holy Spirit's revelation. That's that's what came before this, and we looked at the need, the extent, and the goal of the Holy Spirit's revelation. And then we came into this section about from sorrow to joy. And remember, this is in the upper room discourse, what is called the upper room's discourse. It's from John 13 to John 16. Actually, it's partway through John 13 to John 16, but close enough. Sorry, need a little bit of water there. Um, but, and so Jesus is dealing with, with the disciples. Again, we've talked about it before. Um, his public ministry has ended. This is his private ministry to the disciples themselves. And the fact is they're, they're confused. They're very, very confused. Um, they're, they're, they, they have a, a misperception. They understand and truly believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah. But they misunderstand what the what the Messiah is there for. Um, they, they think of the Messiah, and, and this is, again, we've talked about it. Actually, I talked about it last evening. We've talked about it that, it, that this is cultural. This comes from their culture. Um, because the sad fact is, the part of the reason... The Jews nowadays um, and down through these centuries since the first century, since the things of the New Testament, do not believe Jesus Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth was the Messiah is because they still believe that the Messiah is not necessarily a spiritual savior, but is a physical savior and will come and physically deliver them. That was not his purpose. If you look at the Old Testament, if you look at the law and prophets, it's very, very clear that what is more important than physical saving is spiritual saving, giving spiritual sight and bringing people to a saving faith in God, a saving faith in Jesus Christ. That's more important that the circumcision itself, we talked about it last night, that the physical circumcision of, of, of a, well, I won't get into detail, but you know what I mean? The physical circumcision was only a representation of what should have been a circumcision of the heart. And, and remember, 
both in, in old Hebrew and in the Greek, when it's talking about the heart, it's talking about the soul, the center of the being. It's not talking about feelings. Okay, please. We, we have messed that up. Um, when they talked about loving and feelings, that came from the bowels, from the splinkna was the word. So again, that's that circumcision. They've like I talked about, they've gotten so caught up on the physical, they've got so caught up and, and again become legalistic about it. So these guys, these 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 eleven have come out of that culture, and as much as they spent three years with Jesus, you know, most of them were twenty years older or a little older. And so that's an awful lot of culture for three years with Jesus to completely overcome. So they still got the idea that he's this physical savior, that this, this temporal is the word we use for worldly, this temporal savior that is, again, like I said, going to put the boot heel on the neck of the Romans and kick everybody out and isolate the Jews and protect them and on and on and on and make them the preeminent in the world, et cetera, et cetera. So, but that's not what he's there for. Um, and he's been very clear. So not only that, but he's been very clear. Listen, I'm going to be arrested and I'm going to be murdered. And they're floored. They know he, what he's saying is true. It's not that they think he's lying, but they're like, how does this accomplish this? If he's going to establish kingdom, we talked about that. Um, and I can't even remember the, the theologian's name that I quoted um, yesterday. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I've actually got it right in front of me. I got the book open. Uh, Frederick Louis Godet summarized the disciples' perplexity. Where for us, all is clear. For them, all was mysterious. If Jesus wishes to found the messianic kingdom, why go away? So again, Godet is talking about if they think it's this physical kingdom, then why would he go away? But if he, if he does not wish it, why return? You know, why would he come back? And that's what they're saying. So if, if he was here to do what we think he's going to do, why would he go away? But if he's here to do what he was talking about doing, why would he come back? They, they're not quite connecting all the dots here. But again, Jesus is trying to make clear to them, like we talked about, he's trying to strengthen their faith. He's trying to lift them up because he knows their faith is struggling and he knows they, it needs to be strong. Now, I would agree uh, MacArthur, um, back, up, back in one of the previous chapters in this volume of his commentary, talks about the fact that um, as much as um, um, Jesus was trying to keep them from stumbling, and I forget, it's actually in here. Um, oh, where did it go? I'm sorry. Um, oh, here we go. It's actually in verse 1 of chapter 16. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. <clears throat> and MacArthur says of that, well, even though Jesus says that, they stumble. And they do. But again, I, I said at the time, they do in a small way. I mean, you know, when he gets arrested and uh, put on trial, they run. Sorry, I need some water here. And they run and scatter like rats running from a uh, sinking ship. And I don't say that to insult them because I would be right there along with them, as would most of us. So, I, you know, I'm not saying that to put them down. I'm just describing it. So they scatter. But at the same time, they come back together, they commune together, they're trying to figure out what's going on, they're there together when Jesus returns, and they proceed to then carry the gospel throughout the known world. Now, yes, we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus has repeatedly told them about. The Holy Spirit is coming, this advocate, this helper, this paraclete is coming. I have to go to send him to you 
and you need him here. It's better that I go so he will be here with you. So he's told them that. And yes, they were indwelt by that. But again, they are going to carry the gospel to the end of the known world. And from tradition, tradition indicates that all but the apostle John that wrote this letter were killed for their faith. Okay. And, and the fact is we've had martyrs down through the years, down through this, the millennia that have been killed for their faith, all because of what's written here, all because of what Jesus has said. So again, so what, but what Jesus is trying to show them is, yes, you're going to have sorrow, but then you're going to have joy. So we had his prediction in verse six, verse 16, a little while and you will no longer see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And we talked about that. It could be a little bit ambiguous. It could be a little bit of a struggle to understand there. There are varying things it could apply to. And I told you the big picture is the fact is Jesus was going to go away. The little whiles could, could be interpreted a number of ways, but Jesus was going to go away. One, he was going to be, he was going to be arrested and then murdered and thus be in the ground for three days. But after the, after the, uh, resurrection and the 40 days, he was also going to ascend to the right hand of God. So he was going to be gone for a while. But then he says, and again, a little while, and you will see me. So again, they will see him after the resurrection, but then they're going to see him again when he returns to get them. So of course, then we talked about the disciples perplexity in verses 17 through 19, and I won't read back through that, but again, they're struggling with it. They're not getting it. Um, and, and we talked about why we talked about why last evening. Um, and, and, and truthfully without being 2000 plus years down the road, being able to look back and look at the totality of scripture, I'd have been just as confused as they are. Okay. So and honestly, sometimes you and I do get just as confused when we're reading through the scriptures, because sometimes it takes a little bit for us to try to put all the pieces together. But we saw in verse 19 that Jesus knew they were struggling with this, even though they wouldn't bring it out in the open to ask him. And so we asked them, you know, are you deliberating together about this that I said a little while and you will not never not see me and again a little while and you will see me. So what we're seeing today, this evening and tomorrow evening, God willing, is his answer to that, his explanation of that. So what we have today is called the illustrative parable. Okay, this is, he tells them a parable. He relates this to something. So what we're dealing with here today is John 16 verses 20 through 22. So let me read them to you. Truly, truly, I say to you that you will cry and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. Therefore, you too have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and no one will take your joy away from you. So just from the start, what, what is the first thing that jumps out, out, out of from those three verses? The truly, truly right at the beginning, the, the, in the Greek, the amen, amen at the, at the, at the beginning, which we translate truly, truly. And again, that that's a, here, here comes a hard, here comes a hard, solid truth. You need to sit up and take notice. That's what Jesus is saying. And we've talked about that before. And again, in the, in MacArthur's commentary, the, the list of the, 
chapters and verses of all the times it just in the gospel of John that Jesus has said, truly, truly is huge. And I was like, no, I'm not putting all those down because you and I both know this. We've talked about this before that the truly, truly again is saying, I'm about to give you a very, very deep truth. You need to sit up and take notice and take this in. So he goes on. I say to you that you will cry and lament, but the world will rejoice. So what he's speaking of there is, you know, he's, he's being honest with them is I'm going to be taken from you and I'm going to be murdered and it's going to be sorrowful for you again. That's our section here from sorrow to joy. You know, sorrow is turned to joy. They're going to cry. Jesus is taken away from them. They're going to cry. He's their rabbi, their leader, but the world will rejoice again. The, the world is going to be happy about this. This is this trouble, troublemaker from Galilee, this troublemaker from the armpit of the armpit. You know, Nazareth was kind of the armpit of Galilee, and Galilee was the armpit of Judah, Jerusalem. You got to realize, folks in Jerusalem considered the folks from Galilee rednecks. I mean, that, that was the Israeli redneck, and Nazareth, Nazareth was the worst. That was the place where, you know, brothers married sisters and, and and i'm sorry i'm making a joke honestly i was born in northern alabama so that's a joke that gets made about us and i know i don't sound like it that's because i've been gone from there since i was six and i'm now 50 50 years later i don't have an accent i've lived away from there most of my life so i just don't have an accent but you know um so i'm being a little silly about it but it's the you know this troublemaker is gone. This, this guy that is stirring up stuff, this guy that, it, you know, is doing all these weird things. And even the people, you know, the world will rejoice. And again, remember how John, sometimes when he uses that word, the world, is he really talking about the entire world? No. Think about the context here. Who will rejoice most with Jesus being crucified? The evil world system which is the religious elite. I mean, they are the evil world system. They, they think they're being religious. They think they're serving God. Actually, at this point, I think some of them may think they're serving God. I think most of them don't care whether they're serving God or not, because the fact is it's become all about self. We've got to remember that for the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the priests and the scribes, it's all become all about self. It's become all about self. Again, we see um, in the New Testament them talk about, and, and I forget which gospel, talk about them, them loving uh, the chief seats in the synagogue and being honored on the street and the best seats at feasts and, you know, you name it. Um, you know, having the nicest clothing, the nicest robes with the tassels and all of that. Uh, they, they, they love the honor that they get. You know, it's all about that. It's not about serving God. It's not about serving God's people. It's not about feeding God's sheep as it's supposed to be. Again, we see in the old Testament, um, the, uh, in the prophets where God makes very, very clear through the prophets that he is going to take it out on those shepherds that don't prop up properly shepherd the sheep. And they're not, believe me, these guys are not. So those are, those are the ones that are going to rejoice while the disciples are lamenting. Okay. So that's what he's talking about there. But he, then he goes on, you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. This, this really, I, I truly believe and I, and I would agree with some of the commentators I ran across. I would agree with this. I think this has a twofold meaning. Yes, they're going to have joy when he's risen and they are with him for 40 days. Yes, their sorrow will be turned to joy. Yes, he was crucified. Yes, he has returned. You know, he's resurrected. 
and they're going to be joyful for that. But I think it goes further. I, I, I know it goes further. I mean, I really do. Because him being resurrected brings everything to light. It, it, it nails down everything about what's going on with um with the gospel what everything that jesus has has taught if anything it 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 confirms beyond a shadow of a doubt and don't get me wrong they've seen him resurrect somebody they've seen him give a guy sight that didn't have any they've seen him feed five thousand from basically five twinkies um five twinkies and two sardines you know basically that's about the size of what the the bread and the, the the loaves and the fishes were um and we've talked about that before they've seen all that and they're blown away by it but not only that but then he's resurrected this one that they believe to be the son of god they know now it's gone beyond belief it's gone from a belief which is very very powerful a true belief but now they know now they know that um that the, that this is so sorry i've i've got messages coming in and they're popping up right in front of things and they're distracting me i i totally apologize um i should have turned them off but again they know they know that this is the christ so they know beyond a shadow of a doubt, that everything he has said is true, that he is there for the redemption of their sins, that he is there to purchase salvation for them, that what he has said about the advocate is true, that that advocate will be coming and that advocate will empower them to go and do. That will prop them up. That will support them. That will boost their faith. Okay? So that's what he's talking about. Your sorrow will be turned into joy. But then he goes on in verse 21 and he gives an imagery and, uh, you know, um, MacArthur's um, commentary calls this a parable. And it, and it is in some way, but it, it's very much an illustration. So we go on verse 21. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a, that a child has been born into the world. So again, and, and it's actually kind of interesting that I'm talking about this right now because um, I'm actually recording here Wednesday for the Thursday episode. Just yesterday, my my daughter, the daughter-in-law, my daughter-in-law, the wife of my youngest son, just gave birth to my second grandchild. And but, you know, having spoken with her, spoken with my wife, because we have two sons, um, spoken to my the daughter-in-law of, or the daughter-in-law the wife of my oldest son talked to talking to my mom you know about this is yeah labor is painful um and and that's what he's talking about labor is painful and there is some sorrow because it's painful it's it's uncomfortable um i may shoot the the and and i'm not not to tell family secrets or anything but i know the 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 wife of my oldest son um poor girl um they induced her and really probably induced her too early and she was in labor for 72 hours they should have never done it um or 70 something hours i know it was th like three full days um and it was horrible for her now at the same time she is now pregnant again and we're very 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 excited for another one and again so i know she still remembers some of that pain but 
at the same time, there have been many, many studies. Plus, I have had women explicitly tell me this as your body tends to put away and minimize the pain that you went through for, for these women. Again, I'm not saying guys go through, but when women minimize that pain to encourage you to have more children. I mean, that that's, that's the human animal making adjustments to continue, continue procreation of the species, right? So, and that's what Jesus is talking about here. Um, so whenever, a, so I'm starting again in beginning of 21, whenever a woman is in labor, she has sorrow because her hour has come again. She, there's pain, there's pain, there's discomfort, at, uh, you know? Um, and in the case of some folks, I know with, with my wife and I, for our first son, uh, we were, we were expecting a natural birth. We ended up in there. We were, I forget how long we were in labor, but it was a while. Um, and finally they said, listen, something's wrong. He's not coming. You're not dilating. We need to do a C-section. Well, it's a good thing. His cord was wrapped twice around his neck. <laughs> they had to do a C-section. Um, so, so yeah, there was a good bit. I mean, yeah, there was, there was anesthesia and all that kind of stuff, but even then or afterwards, there was pain because her hour had come, but, but it goes on in this verse. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a child has, has been born into the world. And that was very, very true for my wife. And again, there was, there was continuing pain for her because she had had to have a C-section, thus surgery scars. And of course this was, you know, 30, well, 30 years ago. So actually, yeah, 30 years ago, um, no, 31 years ago, excuse me. My son's thir over 31, so he's 31 years ago. So 31 years ago. So, you know, some of the stitching methods and stuff like that, maybe not as refined as they are now and not as minimal and stuff like that. But so there was continuing pain, but she was just so ecstatic that our son had been born. And then she went through, a, we were, we we're one of the, 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 the few that we turned around and had a natural birth for our second son. Didn't have to have a, another C-section, had a natural birth after that. So went through that. But again, there was the pain, but then the, that was the thing, even with all she went through with the C-section, she, we were so excited. The, the fact is, honestly, we lost two. Um, we, 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 we miscarried in between the two sons we have and after the second son we have, but During those two births, we were so ecstatic when the child was born, you know, yeah, there had been pain, there had been suffering. And I, and I say we, but I'm I, as much her, I mean, my wife was ecstatic when those children were born and the pain faded. This is what Jesus is talking about. And this is what he's trying to apply to these guys. And so he goes on in verse 24, 22, therefore you too have sorrow now. But I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away from you. And again, what he's saying there, like like the mother, I, I mean, the fact is, we've been very blessed. Obviously, we haven't lost our sons. I think that is one of the saddest things when a parent has to bury their own children. Okay, but but aside from that, our joy has not gone away. We love our sons very much, and they've made us very, very proud, and we are very, very blessed to have them and their wives. We're very, very blessed for that. This is what Jesus is talking about. Yes, there's going to be sorrow. Yes, the hour has come. He, you know, and that's the thing. We're within hours. With When Jesus is saying this, we're within hours of him being crucified and him being murdered. 
but then he's going to come back. He's going to be resurrected. So we see this, but I will see you again. But I think even more so as, as opposed to this, just referring to he'll see him again and they'll be resurrected. Um, I agree with MacArthur. He speaks of this here because where it says, and your heart will rejoice and no one will take your joy away from you. This is where I kind of agree with MacArthur. Like I did with the little whiles and little whiles back in verse 16 was the fact that, um, you know, yeah, Jesus is back after the resurrection, but he's only back for 40 days and then he's gone again. That I think at some point, what Jesus is also referring to is that he will see them again on the rapture. He will see them again in the rapture where he will come to take home those that the father has given him. Like we've said, um, Thessalonians is clear that the dead in Christ will rise first and ascend into the air. And then those who are st the saints that are living will ascend also and join them and they will all go. So he's saying, when I come again, you will see me, but I will, I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and no one will take your joy away from you because it'll be the culmination of that salvation, the culmination of that indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that culmination of doing all the work for the kingdom that they will have done and the spreading of the gospel and they're being taken, being taken home, no longer sojourners on earth, but taken home to sit at the right hand of Christ. That's what he's referring to here. That's the sorrow going to joy. That is the sorrow turning to joy and, and seeing that, seeing what Jesus is portraying there and conveying to them, that should bring us from sorrow to joy. I mean, yeah, we don't have Jesus here with us. And sometimes that can be kind of tough. I mean, you know, you sit there and you wish sometimes that you could see him and you could speak with him and you could have seen the miracles. And, and, and truly in my case, I, you know, yeah, it would be neat to see the miracles, but I don't need the miracles to believe. I don't need the miracles to believe I've seen enough things in my life and read enough things, not, not in an academic sense, but enough that I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. Otherwise, why would I be doing this? Um, so I don't need to see that kind of thing, but at the same time, it, it can be sorrowful living in this world. This world is crazy. Okay. You and I, I, you can't flip on the news. That's why, honestly, we have no cable anymore. I mean, we, we have it for my work, for our internet, but we don't have it for our TVs anymore. We completely got rid of it. We have other ways we find out news, but I, I mean, it takes almost nothing, um, to go look at news and see how crazy this world is. I'm sorry when you, and I, I'm, I'm not trying to make a political point, but, um, when you've got the presidents of three seemingly top tier universities that cannot, or I actually, I should say, will not stand on the fact that calling for the genocide of a race of people, actually of an ethnicity, because I don't believe, I believe there's only one race, the race of man, but an ethnicity of people that cannot agree that that violates their code of conduct. <laughs> I mean, does that not tell you how crazy this world is? You know, I mean, I mean, how messed up is this world that you can't call moral corruption and moral disgustingness what it is? That, that says something about the human race. So that does bring sorrow to you and I. But at the same time, Jesus is being clear to them. I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and no one will take your joy away from you. Well, that's not only a, a promise to them, but it's a promise to you and me. We will see him again 
and our heart will rejoice and no one will take our joy away from us. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this evening. I thank you for spending this time with me. I hope you have yourself a wonderful, wonderful evening. Let's go ahead and close out with prayer. We're going to close out with the fifth day evening prayer called protection. Let's pray. Thou art our preserver, governor, savior, and coming judge. Quieten our souls to call upon thy name. Detach us from the influence of the flesh and the senses. Impress us with the power of faith. Promote in us spirituality of mind that will render our services acceptable to thee and delightful and profitable to ourselves. Bring us into that state which attracts thine eye and prepare us to receive the proofs of thy love. Show us our danger that we may fly to thee for refuge. Make us sensible of our sin's disease, that we may value the good physician. Placard us the cross, that it may slay the enmity of our hearts. Help us to be watchful over our ways, jealous over our tempers, diligent over our hearts. When we droop, quicken us. When we go astray, restore us. Possess us with more of that faith, which is the principle of all vital godliness. May we be rich in faith, be strong in faith, live by faith, walk by faith, experience the joy of faith, do the work of faith, Hope through faith, perceiving nothing in ourselves, may we find in the Savior wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. Amen. All right, again, I hope you have yourself a wonderful evening, and I hope to see you tomorrow morning. Have a good night. God bless. Bye.